Sharif Al-Meki is the director of the Center for Black Educator Development, which he founded in 2019. Prior to that, Sharif was an educator in Philadelphia for nearly 30 years. Sharif served as the principal of Mastery Shoemaker beginning in 2008, and under his leadership, the school received a number of notable awards, including the 2016 Bronze Medal on the U.S. News and World Report High School Rankings, the 2015 Schools That Can School Award, and the two effective and two, excuse me, Effective Practice Incentive Community Awards in 2011 and 2009. In addition, Mastery Shoemaker ranked as the seventh best high school for black student achievement in Penn Can's Top 10 School Report Card. Sharif has served as a 2013 U.S. Department of Education Principal Ambassador Fellow and America Achieves Fellow. Sharif blogs at Philly's 7th Ward and serves on the Philadelphia Mayor's Commission on African American Males, as well as Excellent Schools PA. In addition to all this, and I'm lucky to say it, Almeki was my principal and boss at Mastery Shoemaker shortly before he left to begin the Center for Black Educator Development. Without further introduction, I give you Sharif Almeki. So you want me to tee it up? Re- yeah, sure. The statement? Yeah, 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 so yeah, I was, yeah. So I was just saying that so far, I think you're maybe like the 25th conversation I've had. It's really education and religion. And those are just two things I'm really interested in. But mm. it has been fascinating to see how they intersect. Um, and they don't ne- necessarily need to. But I found that people who are really, really interested in education tend to have a deeper humanity humanitarianism to them that almost becomes spiritual um and, yeah. and you're so mission driven i just imagine that some of that has to resonate with you yeah you, you could have lot. chosen a number of other things to do you know what um yes i i do agree with that and i think it's um you know it's really it's really interesting because i I think, and I, I believe, you know, Malcolm said something, and I'll try to find a quote before we, we end, but he basically said that the true criterion for leadership has a spiritual element to it. Hmm. And so that's always resonated with me when I saw, you know, I've wrestled with that in my head, you know, so often. Um, and then when I even think about my career, you know, just like, you know, and, and some people say like, oh, yeah, it's just coincidence, but I'm like, I think that a lot of times there's deeper meanings and it's, you know, it takes some reflection and deeper thought to maybe make the connections and connect mm-hmm. the dots between things. But, you know, like a, a small example, but huge as far as like, you know, what changed my trajectory. Like, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking about teaching initially. You know, I knew I wanted to, you know, I was raised by activist parents. I knew that I wanted to do something around social and racial justice. Uh, I didn't have educational justice per se in that calculus, uh, you know. So meeting Dr. Ryder, who talked about the connection between activism and teaching young black youth superbly, teaching them really well, uh, the connection between education and racial justice, and you know, and later to find out that the person who and I was on my way to law school until I got shot, right, and you know, shot left for dead, you know, all over a football game. And it's just like, you know what? I want to work with youth like the young man, um, Derek, who shot me. Hmm. Uh, so started off at the Youth Study Center. This is a, uh, now it's called uh, Juvenile Justice Center. Uh, but this was basically a 
it's a kitty jail. It's for kids waiting to be adjudicated by the courts. Um, this is where they'll be held. So they may be there for a couple of days, few weeks, couple of years, you know. So it all depends on how their case is progressing. And I didn't make it through orientation because it was it was like really hitting my soul in a deep way to be trained on how to prevent suicide watches for 12 year olds and locking the door, making sure it's locked, you know, uh, where kids have to be restraining and all that. I was like, oh, this is this is rough, like in any great people. Right. You know, but it was not it, it didn't sit well with me um, as far as like just my my makeup and stuff. And uh, right at that time. Again, yeah, coincidence, right? I'm leaving orientation. I'm just, and then someone reached out to me and said, "Hey, they're recruiting black men to teach." Mm-hmm. And Mama, you know, a friend of mine called a, class, a former classmate, and you know, she was calling and wanted. She was like, "Mama Cynthia wants you to call her." And I was like, "Sure." Like Mama Cynthia is one of our mamas. You know, she was a, a parent. And a leader at, at the elementary school I went. This is how long ago it was. Like, so she's calling me about this. And I had seen her since then, but you know, this is the connection was in elementary school. I reach out to her and she says, Sharif, I want you to, you know, consider becoming a teacher. I think you'd be great. They have a meeting. And I was like, Mama Cynthia, I don't want to be a teacher. And in my head, I didn't say this out loud, but in my head, I'm like, what in the world made Mama Cynthia think that I wanted to be a teacher? Like, you know, like she's seen me like since elementary school, but what did I do to, she picked up the wrong signs. I never wanted to be a teacher. And, but she did say like, go to the meeting. And she was one of the mamas. So I respected her enough to go to the meeting, right? Again, so orientation, didn't make it through. Someone calling me right at that time of where I'm trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Cause I, I thought about law school, but I was like, okay, you know, what I want to do right now. Um, I go to the meeting, I meet Dr. Martin Ryder. He's the one that helped make the connection between this activism and teaching well. And then I end up at, at, at the school, Turner Middle School. Well, Turner Middle School later to find out is the school, this is where I started teaching and I ended up there for a decade. Mm. But this is the school where the young man who shot me, he had dropped out of. So here I am wow. starting my career at the same place that the person who shot me mere blocks away. You know, I was uh, I got shot on Bartram High School's field. Turner Middle School was the middle school that used to feed into Bartram High School. So that's the proximity, like same general neighborhood, you know, where this was part of the feeder pattern. So, yeah, there's a, a lot to like really think about and dissect and the connection. You're like, huh. I am where I'm supposed to be. Like, at least that's, you know, because I was still thinking about law school until I learned that. Mm. So, you know what? I I think I'm going to stick with this because I'm enjoying it. I love it. And it feels like it's connected to something deeper. Wow. Yeah. What a what a crazy story. So I you were spoken about when I worked at Shoemaker with a profound reverence. um, But I never heard the story of you getting shot yeah yeah I, how yeah, old I were you when that happened man i had just it was six months after I graduated so i was uh i had just turned 21 it was a few weeks after my 21st birthday okay and what did you um what were you studying you said teaching wasn't on your oh yeah i, w- I was pre-law i was on my okay. way to law school criminal justice um almost minored in psychology just to mm-hmm. have like you know 
understand. And they were like, oh, that's an extra semester. I was like, ah, never mind, you know, because sure. I didn't realize I had enough credits to almost minor in it. You know, it was just something that I found. I was curious. And so when those, mm. you know, you take these electives, I have friends who were taking how to play golf because they're like, I'm going to be in business and I need to know how to play golf. But I was like, ah, that looks boring. I'm going to go take the psych class, you know. <laughs> so it seemed interesting. Um, but yeah, it was uh, pretty, yeah, I, I enjoyed college. I went to a small school, um, Western PA, Indiana University of Pennsylvania. Uh, still like uh, friends and best friends with uh, my roommates and the other folks that we, uh, you know, um, attended school with. But I thought like law was going to be the, you know, the way for me to, you know, to fight for racial justice, mm. um, social justice. Thought it would be through the courts. But um, yeah, good old Mama Cynthia and and uh Dr. Martin, you know, um just opened my eyes to, to a new a new way of looking at things, you know, um a new way of looking at activism. Um when I thought about it and I thought about the the teachers that I had in elementary school. It, then it made sense like oh yeah i would totally they were actually activists they started a school because of their activism they taught us mm. through activism so so yeah i mean if i like i would talk about it i don't know if i i probably speak about it now more than i did you know as a, as a principal um but uh but yeah do you, do you mind if i ask some questions about it i'm happy no to... no no sure sure what were the circumstances uh you said it happened over a football game. I'm I'm really curious about this moment in relation to your trajectory and sort of mm-hmm. looking back and seeing these dots. I, I don't know how badly you were injured, but was there a moment that that started to facilitate any discernment? I mean, were you were you forced to reconsider things at that point? I'm not really even sure how it happened, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were playing football, Bartram High School's field, and um, you know, how football is you know it, it kind of elevates people's testosterone and, and um, aggression and stuff. So, you know, we were jawing back and forth, uh, me and the same guy. Um, and at one point I, I tackled him and he thought it was too hard. Mm. And so he got up swinging. Um, I defended myself and he lost the fight. Mm. And, but what I didn't realize was that during the time we were jawing back, so something, you know, may have gone down anyway, even without the fight, because what we learned later was that he had told someone to go get some of his friends. Mm. And so they were in the stands uh, at some point during the game. I never noticed them coming. You know, we were just playing football. But at some point, they were, um, they had guns and they were waiting um, by the stands. So, of course, the fight gave, you know, what they felt was an excuse to, to uh, you know, come over. And I didn't see them, but other folks on the field started running because they at Bartram there used to be this really small fence that separated the stands from the track so you could just like really hop over it um and later people said like oh yeah everybody saw it and they ran but mm-hmm. I didn't see it I was kind of walking away from the fight and I was like come on let's finish the game and yeah next thing I know um you know one some something hit me really hard in the back of the head and when I stood up realized it was a gun in my face so ended up uh shooting me three times so we ended up like wrestling for the gun and he ended up shooting me three times and 
Yeah, it was pretty bad. I almost had to have my leg amputated. I was in the hospital. Uh, at least a dozen surgeries. Um, I was in the hospital for over a month. And each time they were trying to save my leg, you know, and uh, it severed an artery. And so mm. you know how how bad, how quickly that can go bad, you know. Um, oh you know. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, then some of the same issues, you know, people said that uh, I mean, it was hard for me to gauge time um, at that moment, but, you know, um, lost a ton of blood on the field. But they talked about that the ambulance took much longer than you would expect for, you know, mm. a gunshot uh, victim and, you know, but ended up making it. But and then there were some questionable decisions by the doctors that I first um, encountered. And I think they were, you know, like kind of the uh, the understudies were the ones that I, um, that received me initially. And so all of the, you know, these are all things that are steps, you know, when you're, you know, in impoverished neighborhoods, you're, you know, maybe looked at like, ah, oh, it's a gunshot victim. Oh, it's, you know, probably just like any other gunshot victim. Yeah, they do this all the time, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, whatever biases that people have, there were decisions that were made that, you know, impacted, you know, um, the care that I received, um, particularly mm. initially. Uh, which, uh, you know, probably caused further damage. And I was in much more uh, severe of a situation than I would have been had, you know, uh, you know, care been looked at, have, or maybe had I been looked at a little bit differently. Mm. And mind you, this is, and later to find out that, uh, you know, this young man had dropped out. So here we were at the same age. I was, you know, I was, uh, 20 21 he was 19 or 20 and but I, he was a seventh grade dropout that was seventh grade was the last grade he, he finished so i guess technically an eighth grade dropout and i was a college graduate you know and so that's what helped you know and even in the hospital i'm just like wow how do i help young men who have level of anger access to guns and maybe we're willing to kill somebody over you know, over a fight, like, and so that's what landed me at the Youth Study Center, because, and I still had my eyes on law school, but I felt like, you know what, I can't go right away, I need some money to do that, you know, um, I had a scholarship to go to IUP, but I had no more, you know, the scholarship runs out after, you know, so I didn't have uh, any any money, so I was like, all right, I'll, I'll work, and then the, the shooting happened, and then, you know, before that, I was just doing odd jobs, you know, it was literally, I graduated in May, and I figured I'd work like a year. And so I was just doing odd jobs, you know, hmm. um, courier. Yeah, I was a courier. What else was I doing? I was doing a little social work, you know, just uh, just random clients. And yeah, and I played football on Sundays. <laughs> you know, bareback tackle football with, with, with my homies. So you're 21 years old. How long was the recovery? Man, I would say, so I was in the hospital for a month. I came out, so this happened October 4th or 5th. I came out a little bit before Thanksgiving. And I would say I was in a wheelchair initially. Um, they had to do, you know, as I said, 12 surgeries, skin grafts. They had to take muscle out of one leg, put it in the other. They had to wrap tendon, take tendons and detach them from one place attach it to another they were trying to give me as much of normalcy 
um, as possible. But I was I would say, you know, I could have used a cane the first year, but I refused to. So, so I would just limp. Uh, but that was probably the first year. That was my old, you know, just I didn't even like when I was in a wheelchair, I didn't go out. I was like, no, nah, I'm going to stay right in. You know, I did not leave the apartment um, that I was in. I was, you know, really fortunate. I lived in a duplex and my aunt, my mother's sister lived upstairs. So I was downstairs. So, you know, the care was there. Uh, one of my best friends from high school stayed with me. Um, you know, so it was, uh, you know, I just I'm fortunate that I had a community to help me, you know, heal, you know, um, and not just physically, but, you know, I'd imagine I had some, you know, emotional wounds, but at 21, I wasn't really thinking about emotional wounds. I wasn't <laughs> thinking about things like that. I was just, you know, I just went through life normal, but I would imagine that because there was community that that helped me in ways that I didn't quite understand mm. um, in the moment. But, you know, reflecting back, I think like, wow, you know what? I was so um, I'm grateful and I was so blessed to be able to have a community that was right there to help and support, um, you know, me as I, you know, went through this convalescence. Mm. So as you're starting to teach, you, you mentioned Mama Cynthia and who was the doctor? Dr. Martin Ryder. Dr. Yeah. Martin Ryder. How conscious was your motivation for teaching and and trying to address so many of the problems that you experienced on the field that day, um, sort of culminating right in that moment. How conscious was that motivation or is that something that you looked back on and then was then you were able to articulate? No, you know, like early on, I, I think what I think what I was originally chasing was my own elementary school experience. Hmm. You know, so I went to a, a, a uh, elementary school that it was a pre-K to sixth grade school. That was, I mean, the teachers were just amazing. They were so student-centered, you know, they were activists who started a school and said, you know what, we want our, we want Black youth to have a different educational experience. Matter of fact, I think that's what's on the front of the parent handbook I found a couple mm -hmm. years ago, an alternate educational experience, you know, um, which is what they provided, you know, so it was very, um, not only anti-racist, but it was pro-black. Hmm. Um, and this is the the school that I was raised in. So that's what I was really leaning on initially. Um, it was less about like, hey, you know what? I don't want you to drop out or I want you to, like it was, I thought about that when I went to the youth study center, but when I got to Turner Middle School, that wasn't really my thing because this was a school, this is you know. And when I left, I wanted to go to like, where are the kids before they get to a place like this? So when I was when I was struggling during orientation about like how I would have to conduct the job, you know, I was thinking at the same time, like, man, where are they beforehand in school? It just didn't click. I was just like, you know, just I was thinking more socially. Um, and then, you know, I get this call from Mama Cynthia. But so I, I think originally I was just thinking like, you know, I had an amazing and I was teaching eighth grade, but I was like, I had an amazing elementary school. Uh, it stopped at sixth grade, but it was a lot of that type of, that was my orientation, you know, um, just the type of experience that I had um, where I never felt unloved, where I always felt challenged and supported, uh, where I felt like I was becoming smarter and smarter every day, month, and year that I attended there. Um, and so that's, you know, and I started off with literature, social studies, although I showed up at the school like, 
do you have anything for math and science? They're like, no, our vacancy is literature. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll take it. You know, so it was, like, it was one of those. I was, you know, just excited and, um, you know, nervous too, but I was excited just to, just to teach. And I, I met my class and I was, I never looked back really, you know, even though I thought like coming in, like, oh, I'll do law school, but it, I wasn't, um, I never had this thing like, oh, I got to leave education or I got to, sure. I got to go do, even when I was thinking law school, I was like, all right, I could do that at night. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It was, I, I just didn't see myself leaving the classroom. Um, so even when they asked me to become an assistant principal nine years after teaching, I still was like, you know, I still taught a class or two, um, you know, each day because I was like, oh, I don't want to stop teaching, you know, so huh. I loved it. Yeah. Were there moments where it was really challenging? Obviously, at some point as a leader, you had to think about, I mean, one of the challenges is not only getting new teachers into the door, but sort of retaining them, right? Mm -hmm. Was there ever a moment where maybe you didn't necessarily look back, but it it was challenging and you sort of outlined all these reasons why you would be motivated. I, I'm really interested in how you thought about replicating some of that intrinsic motivation that you had as a school leader thinking, well, some people are just going to walk in education and think, oh yeah, I'll try this. You know, how do you sort of keep those people? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I think though, yes, there were, man, there were a ton of challenges. Uh, yeah, but I, I, I really think that's it. <clears throat> excuse me, any place you go, anywhere you work, particularly if it's um, facing human beings and serving human beings, um, you know, that human element is going to add challenge. But hey, look, mm. if you work in the ocean in the middle of nowhere with nobody, you're going to face other challenges, right? So <laughs> I think challenge is just part of life, you know, but uh, but yeah, there were de definitely times when I, I knew, I, th I think that was one of the biggest challenges, like my orientation about education particularly in that community right like you know we were at shoemaker and shoemakers in west philly i knew i think one of the challenges that i thought about a lot was like i had a deep connection to that school and that neighborhood mm -hmm. right you know i shoemaker used to feed into the high school i graduated from overbrook, overbrook right. so shoemaker used to be the junior high and it fed into overbrook um, so one, that's, this is my neighborhood, this is my community. Right. And so that's a deeper, much deeper connection than most people who were working at the school. Um, so even if they, you know, fell in love with it, I grew up in it and loved it. Right. Which is, you know, not to say one is more important and deeper, but it is a deeper connection and a longer connection. Um, and then I would say the other pieces and a lot, you know, and you probably know this, um, you know, but uh, I went to summer school at Shoemaker one year. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Everyone, so I would share that with with some students. You know, like, yeah. So I, Mr. Kiesel, Brett, Brett or Brent Kiesel was a chemistry teacher at Overbrook my junior year. And I was goofing off that year, particularly in his class. He was a first-year teacher. Mm. I was like, ah, first-year teacher. You know, and thinking about it at the time, I didn't think, oh, you're a first-year teacher, so I'm going to goof off. But in retrospect, I'm like, he didn't really have the best, you know, classroom management or expectations yeah. weren't super high, but he sure held me accountable at the end. It was just like, yep, you guys <laughs> summer school. <laughs> and I was like, I remember saying like summer school, like I can't go to summer school. Like, you know what I mean? I'm just like, you know, I'm smart. Like I don't need summer school. That's for my friend. That's a real goofball. And it's like, nah, you earned it. 
And mm-hmm. I, I remember like, man, this guy. So I ended up going to, um, going to summer school. But, you know, the first thing I thought about was like, man, I'm going to have to fight every day in this joint. Like that was my, my original thought because that was the reputation that Shoemaker had. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and which is sad because years later, Shoemaker, we end up working there, but we end up working there as part of a turnaround school because that reputation had persisted. Mm-hmm. So you figure from, I was there in eight, 1987 till 2007 when it was, uh, you know, became a charter, 2006, seven, you know, when it became a turnaround school, turnaround charter school. So that's a long time for, you know, that type of reputation, um, you know, to persist, um, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But, um, but yeah, and I still lived there, you know, I would walk home. You know, on on plenty of days, I would walk home from Shoemaker after work because um, I still lived in the neighborhood. You know, I lived mm-hmm. around the corner from where my mom raised us, or where my parents raised us. So, yeah, yeah. I don't even remember what your original question was, but well, I was I was interested <laughs> in, in I was interested in, as a school leader, right? You're thinking about retention and retaining these new teachers, mm. or even just regular yeah. great great mug, by the way, shoe crew, <laughs> shoe crew, yes sir, yes sir. I'm interested if you had a unique challenge as someone who had all this motivation to sort of pour themselves into that school thinking, how, how do I get, you know, oh, how yeah, do I fight, right. yeah. how do I fight for retention and, and sort of fight attrition when people don't have as many roots uh, sort of attaching them to the school? Yeah. I, th- I think if there was anything deliberate, it's about building community. Like how do you build a community within and how do you build communities within that community? Right. And so I, you know, I was, always really big on leadership, leadership teams, great, you know, great team leads, content team leads, leadership teams. Um, and then what is their, their mindset? What's their orientation and how do they believe in serving? Right. So if I look at myself as the principal, um, and I look at my job as partly removing barriers from, from teachers and students so that they can perform at their highest level. If I have a servant leader orientation, and, and uh, you know, just belief in that as a, a very distinct, specific and, and vital leadership skill, then my part of my job is going to try to get as many other servant leaders in leadership roles, you know, um, both formal and informal, and making sure that we have that. And I think, you know, how we try to approach, you know, uh, keeping, uh, you know, retention levels high is building community so even yeah this person this teacher didn't grow up here but they're here they feel supported they feel level collegiality they feel aligned to the mission of servant leadership to the students and the families and communities we're part of that can be like its own energy force i believe if it's you know nurtured and and um and replicated where it's not just a singular oh that's the principle and that's what they think but everyone else is doing something else but if that's a whole you know just tons of adults who are thinking that way um and i would say the other level of it is like bringing a level of activism which was also orientation that i just believed in like who are the the, if educators teachers and and um staff are look at themselves as activists at some level and everything's gonna it's a continuum right and some people are like hey this is a little uncomfortable for me i just but i'm willing to try it i'm willing you know um to be engaged with it, to think about, you know, what does anti-racist mean? What does it mean to have a professional learning community? I think those are the, some of the ingredients that we try to, you know, just incorporate uh, 
Um, and again, not by myself, but if you have leaders amongst leaders, then they're also fostering and generating uh, mm -hmm. some of the same um, same layers. And so I think, and I think our students fed up. Hey, like, here's something. I think right now, yesterday, we had our sixth or seventh alum come back to work within the school. Wow. Yeah. So David, something. yeah, David Olamariwaju is the latest who's who's uh, going to be a teacher in in his in his alma mater. And when I think about that, and there are several others who are just out in other spaces uh, teaching and and in education, but the fact that we have six alum, you know, we our first graduating class was 2011, mm -hmm. so it's not like we've been around forever. Sure. You know, so that's a, a decade, and you know, we see. And there were others who, you know, they were always coming back. They were always supporting. They were always, you know, helping to mentor, you know, like they were starting mentoring programs just because we're like, yeah, I went here and I want to support the, the students who came behind me. Like hmm. it was such a, you know, that type of environment, which also helps reduce attrition for adults, right? Because they see, you know, sometimes sure. you see as a, as a teacher, as a principal, you don't see the impact, right? Because you're like, all right, they've gone and I think I made an impact, I don't know. But because we're a community school, we were always getting updates on what the impact was and what we could do better as well. Hmm. How so long were you, can, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, so I think that helped with building a community that can support, you know, uh, you know, much higher than average retention rate. What did you say was the first graduating year? 2011 and when did how how long were you there as a principal uh all together 11 years yeah okay 11 years. and you came in as the principal right yeah i came in as a principal and the school had uh been a turnaround two years before i got i got okay. there so we were grow it was originally a middle school and they kept adding a grade mm. basically like we're not letting y'all go y'all gotta stay here to help yeah. us turn this turn this into a high school you know because it was a middle school uh which was part of the appeal for me going not only um it being in the neighborhood i could walk home I, I went there as a summer's you know in summer school one year but also like wow this is going to be a middle and high school because mm. my my first uh you know 15 years was all in middle school but i was very interested in working in a high school too so this was the opportunity to be in middle and high school you know and help to grow that process so um yeah that yeah, was uh it was fun that's fun so I'm aware of the time and there's a million questions I could ask you about Shoemaker and <laughs> all the different initiatives and even just the Mastery Charter Network and all of your experiences watching that grow and being a part of that growth. We're going to have to save that probably for another for another right. time. Cool, but cool, cool. I'm fascinated because obviously you cared so much about that that role in that school. So obviously the thing that you left for has to be enormous. And, mm. and it's interesting hearing about your career, sort of thinking about this problem and then going to the root of it or identifying the root as education and now sort of in some sense going further to this route. And, and I'd be really interested to hear you talk about your experience at the center for black educated development. I love the, the banner in the background. Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You know, um, yeah, I mean, and that's exactly the only reason why I left, you know, I was not prepared to leave. I wasn't thinking about leaving. Um, we had, you know, and I had been doing, you know, work to support a black teacher pipeline and rebuilding a black teacher pipeline in Philly and around the country, pretty much nights and weekends. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, my final 
couple of years, really since, I want to say 2012. Um, so most of my time there, I had a, a arrangement with the, you know, with the, with the central office where I could, you know, really be a principal for four days. And that fifth day, um, I could really work on this initiative. Um, mm-hmm. So I started off as a, a, a principal ambassador fellow at the U.S. Department of Ed, which required a lot of travel, a lot of outside of school time work. And so they were, you know, um, I'm always grateful that they were flexible enough and supportive enough to give me that time and space, uh, you know, to really do the work that I was just really passionate about. And again, it's like giving back, right? I came in through this Black Teacher Pipeline, the alternative certification program, through mentorship, through support. Um, and then here I was, you know, uh, decades in and wanting to provide that, but also recognizing that there was starting to be a lack of black teachers, and even in a place as diverse as Philadelphia. And originally I thought it was only a local issue, but then during that fellowship at the uh, Department of Ed, I realized that it was national as well. Um, and it just, you know, is worthy of our best efforts, our best strategies. And, you know, so at some point it was, I had to make a decision because the work was starting to grow and I had to make a decision. Do I stay and continue to try to do this nights and weekends or do I commit fully to this work after being a teacher and a principal for a quarter of a century, you know, 26 years. And so ultimately, and I still thought I might be able to do both. You know, I had a, I had a funder who was interested in, in funding our work where we, you know, at a scale, a million dollars, you know, Mm. to be able to build a team and really press forward and and try to go much deeper than what I was able to do um, with limited time. Originally, I I was trying to figure out all the ways to stay a shoemaker. I was like, well, (laughs) can I defer? You know, and one of my mentors like, it's not a college application. If you defer this, you probably won't see it again. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I thought about, you know, kind of subcontract, like, oh, I'll stay here and I'll hire somebody. Um, you know, even mastery was trying to work with me to figure out like, oh, how can we support you to, you know, remain and doing what you love being a principal and still doing this work, you know? Uh, and, you know, and, and you were there, you like, you saw like how often I had to, you know, be somewhere else, you know, and I was, you know, grateful that, uh, Katie Ziemba would, you know, graciously, who was assistant principal graciously every time would sign up to be, or agree to, you know, be elevated to uh, acting principal at any time that I left to maintain consistency and clear lines of communication and so forth. Um, but ultimately, I decided to, you know what, I can come back to being a principal, you know, uh, but I may not have the chance to build a team to really think deeply about what would it take to rebuild a national Black teacher pipeline, one that's sustainable, highly effective, and predictable. And so we actually piloted it in 2018 and still wasn't thinking about leaving. It was just like piloting them like, hey, this worked and handing it off to, um, you know, to another organization, um, uh, the fellowship. And ultimately ended up uh, leaving and deciding to let's launch the center and let's see what we can do over the next decade. And so mm-hmm. we're this spring will be four years, um, wow. you know, which is just nuts to me. Uh, you know, we left in, in the spring of, well, we ended that year, 2019. 
And um, now we're coming up into 2023 and we'll be in our fourth city this summer. So we're in Philly, Camden and Detroit, Michigan. And we are hoping to expand in Memphis uh, this summer. Wow. I want to give you your 15 minutes. So I'm, I'm just keeping an eye on the time. Okay. Okay. But if, I can ask, if I can ask you sure, the last sure. question, I'm, I'm interested. I would imagine in a role like this, you'd have to be learning so much, mm-hmm. especially in those first couple of years. I'm interested. Obviously, this is a this question alone will be inadequate in encapsulating all the cool things you're doing. But is there anything that you've learned really recently that's fascinating to you? That's exciting about the potential of what you're doing? Yeah, and it all centers around the youth. There's actually, you know, a couple things I would highlight. One, um, so we started in 2019. So people, your listeners will recognize like, whoa, that's a few months before the pandemic, you know? Right. So, <laughs> you know, like you started on your own and, you know, like the, the you know, and everything takes risk, right? You know, um, and someone said, someone, uh, some book, I forget who who's it's attributed to, but it's basically like, you never know how far you can go until you risk going too far, hmm. you know? Um, and so that like really resonates with me. Like, man, talking about going too far, like leaving, you know, the uh, your, your school that you've been in for 11 years, the career you've had for 26 years to launch something. And then here comes the pandemic. Um, hmm. But the youth, you know, I, I think, and I, it's not that I learned it, but I relearned it. I think I relearned things over and over again, you know, one, because yeah, as human beings, we're hard-headed, stubborn, and forgetful. So we have to relearn the same things, but, you know, we have to listen to our youth and we have to invite them to help them to solve problems they had no hands in creating. Hmm. And so in 2020, we were really contemplating severely um, limiting our work, scaling back significantly. And it was the youth that said, no, let's just do it virtually. And I was shocked initially because, and these are high school and um, youth. And we said, like, what do you mean? You know, we were, we did freedom schools. We do a paid teacher apprenticeship. And so that's what we piloted in 2018 at Shoemaker. Where we had high school students, college youth teaching, younger students. At that time, it was incoming seventh graders. You know, so we'd have learning institute and you know, all of spring, the sixth graders who would be with us that fall and throughout the summer, we'd have, you know, basically, you know, maybe 12, 15 weeks of learning institute orientation, literacy, math skills, and some enrichment activities. And so that's what we piloted. That's what we turned it into, like as a teacher apprenticeship for high school and college youth to explore teaching, even if they're not ed majors and, and why they're still in high school. And so we were going to pause on that. You know, because it's like, well, it's the pandemic. We can't be in person. And I didn't think we would be able to capture the spirit virtually. Um, but they mm-hmm. insisted that we still do it virtually. And so it was the youth who, like, you know, made that, you know, impactful influence on our direction. And it was because of their feedback um, that we had it. And it was amazing. Like, one, not only did we have these... uh high school and college youth, but we had all these elementary school students and it expanded our work. You know, when we were in person, we were in two sites in Philly. We did it virtually and we had 15 or 16 states represented. Wow. Students from all over the country, even uh, a third grader as far as second grade, as far as California. Wow. Who was getting, you know, we started at 830 in the morning. So Hmm. she's up three hours before that. And we, you know, I remember 
speaking to her mother, like, you sure? Like, we're, it's really early. She's like, listen, this kid has been up every day, you know, um, all the time because that's when her father goes to work. And so hmm. she is just, oh, she's like, and I always have to find something to do with her with 530 to, you know, in the morning. So, so she, and she had perfect attendance, like, you know, so, wow. um, so just being able to, to have that type of, uh, influence by high school students, you hmm. know, um, and they also came up with our campaign. And so they have a campaign that they, uh, launched, you know, they were responsible for educational justice, uh, project. They've been, you know, working on a, um, you know, a campaign and they came up with hashtag we need black teachers. And we just thought like, that's straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you like, that's pretty. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we didn't want any distractions. We want people to understand what our rallying cry and demand is hmm. without any distractions. And again, these are high school students, you know, participating in a focus group. And so we said, you know what, we'll help amplify that. And so we've, if your listeners had, you know, look up hashtag we need black teachers on you know any social media platform they'll be able to see like oh this is what high school students started that's awesome yeah that's amazing well you have 12 minutes so i i lied and i'm sorry oh no worries but i can't all thank good, you enough for good. the time and i, I no, wish you well in your much. meeting i'd Thanks love so to have much. another conversation so please keep in touch i, I can't wait to, to see everything that you do it's such a cool movement and it's it's awesome to have this connection yeah, no, no, thank you. Thank you. And, um, you know, appreciate you. And, and uh, it's like so cool to to see you, um, you know, uh, doing just a cool thing, you know, and I, I've just always uh, appreciated like, you know, when coming in and choosing, you know, we always say choosing to be here, you know, mm -hmm. and you chose to be a shoemaker and, and, um, and your commitment and, and, um, you know, your care, you know, uh, you know, for our students, for the mission, um, for the community was, was evident. And so I appreciate that. And so it's great to see you in a different realm. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Uh, I would be in trouble if I didn't ask you to tell Shana Terrell that I said, hello. <laughs> <laughs> sure. will. sure. will. matter of fact, I'm, uh, I'm going to just take a quick, uh, snap and, and send it to her. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot, Gregorio. Great talking to you. And, and I yeah, hope to be in touch soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Good Let's luck. Do that. Thank you. Take care.